It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. All right, all right. Just so you don't think that I'm crazy, paranoid, exaggerating, making things up, this is the sound. When you walk down the street, this is the sound of what it is like today in Washington, D.C. I'm telling you, the cicadas are deafening. I mean, it's like being in a Hitchcock movie. You're walking down the street, I just turned my phone on just to capture the sound. It is so freaking loud. And speaking of the cicadas, I'll get off this in a second. <laughs> just bear with me. Uh, this video that's kind of gone viral of Manu Raju, CNN correspondent, you know, he's doing a live shot, and all of a sudden, there's one of these disgusting bugs crawling like on his shoulder up to his neck and somehow it got bleeped i don't quite get that and you hear him saying what the f and s and you know uh, it is kind of gross when it's you know it's one thing to see them buzzing around they they buzz around the leaves and the trees or underfoot i mean they just have blanketed some of these sidewalks depending on the neighborhood you're in but when you're i mean this was an actual attack on a cnn correspondent the first amendment could be at stake well welcome aboard we are on the cusp of memorial day weekend hope you have some good plans to have a good time and it really feels like almost kind of like liberation weekend for america because more and more people get vaccinated uh airline travel uh, supposedly is way up people are going places they're going to do things i read somewhere that 135,000 tickets have been sold for the Indy 500. Uh, I mean, it just feels like after the endless, endless pandemic that and more places opening up, businesses opening up, restaurants, sports stadiums, there are fans at baseball games again. just feels like people can go out and have a good time. Speaking of baseball, have you seen this viral video of the incredible series of errors the Pittsburgh Pirates made as base runners were running around, going backwards, how many uh, times they could have ended the inning. There were two outs. It is, you know, veteran baseball commentators are saying they've never seen anything like this. It, after a while, you just kind of feel sorry for the Pirates. Uh, but it just shows you never know what's going to happen in baseball. Uh, we are getting ready for Media Buzz on Sunday, 11 Eastern. hope you'll have a chance to watch unless you're out of the beach or something. In which case, you could always look at it online. Uh, it's a holiday, nevertheless, holiday weekend at least. We will be there on the job, and I have a whole bunch of stuff to get to, so let me just dive right in. Speaking of, uh, you know, America kind of reopening, there's a new poll out from the Kaiser Family Foundation that says the U.S. could be on track to vaccinate at least 70% of the adult population by this summer. You know, Joe Biden's got this goal of 70% by July 4th. I don't care if it's by July 4th or July 1st or July 15th or even August 1st. I mean, that's a political goal. And there's nothing magic about the number 70, but I've always sort of felt if we could get up around 70%, maybe it needs to be 75, I don't know, uh, we really could at least tame this deadly virus. So interesting findings in this poll, um, the reason for the optimism, 62% say they've already uh, received at least one dose of the vaccine. That tracks with the figures that I've seen. That's up from 56% in April. Okay. About a third of those who are in this sort of wait-and-see category now say they have already made appointments to get the shot or plan to do so imminently. Imminently, I like that. 
Uh, here's Dr. William Shafter, head of the National Foundation of Infectious Diseases. He says, I think many people who are on the fence who are worried about things moving too rapidly and possible side effects, but those concerns are being allayed as they see more of their friends and acquaintances, acquaintances celebrating getting vaccinated. You know what else was a turning point? Rochelle Walensky of the CDC finally saying, hey, if you get the shot, you don't have to wear a mask. You certainly don't have to wear a mask outside. You don't have to wear a mask in most instances. And then finally, there was something tangible. People say, well, it'd be worth it because then I can go out and do stuff. And I saw my neighbor down the street and my cousin, you know, they got it and they're fine. There's also that. Um, so in this survey, uh, let's see, the, the groups that are most, uh, where the greatest increase has occurred, Latino adults uh, getting vaccinated from 47% to 57%, and adults without college degrees from 48% to 55%. Now, in this sort of reluctant group, uh, 4% said they wanted the shot as uh, soon as possible. Another 4% say they had scheduled an appointment or intended to do so within three months. Within three months? What do you have to do over the next three months that's more important than getting a life-saving shot? What? Three months? I, 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 it's, it's very hard for me to understand. But the numbers are finally moving in the right direction. I think there's been a definite shift in public opinion. You know what hasn't hurt is these lotteries. This first one in Ohio, somebody won over a million bucks. Uh, and you can only enter if you're vaccinated. All right, let me turn now to the January 6th commission. Uh, today there will be, it got delayed from last night, a Senate vote. By the time you hear this, it may already not have passed. Why? Because there is a threatened Republican filibuster and there aren't enough Republican votes to pass this thing. Uh, it passed the House where the Democrats are in control. It may, it, it will probably get over 50 votes because you have all the Democrats voting for the January 6th commission, independent commission to investigate the Capitol riot. And you're going to have Mitt Romney, you're going to have Lisa Murkowski, uh, perhaps Susan Collins, maybe even one or two others, but it doesn't matter. You've got to get to 60. Here's Lisa Murkowski kind of publicly taking on uh, Mitch McConnell over this, uh, his decision to try to block the commission. She took direct aim at the guy who is the Senate GOP leader. She's a former Republican who's an independent who usually votes for Republicans. And she said the following, to be making a decision for the short-term political gain at the expense of understanding and acknowledging what was in front of us on January 6th, I think we need to look at that critically. Is that really what this is about, one election cycle after another? Or are we going to acknowledge that as a country that is based on these principles of democracy that we hold so dear? And one of those is that we have free and fair elections. So that's not an easy thing to say if you need Republican votes to stay in office. For the Alaska senator to say that, I think is interesting, but it doesn't change the political equation. Now, The Atlantic has a piece saying that this GOP filibuster will be the first one of the Biden era. Um, actually is going to help the left. Why? Because it's not coming on a tax increase or, you know, left-wing idea like the Green New Deal or Medicare for All, not even on voting rights. No, Republicans are planning to block the creation of an independent bipartisan commission to investigate the assault that terrorized members of both parties. That Republicans would block debate on the commission is a grave sign for anyone hoping for the bare minimum of unified resolve from Congress after an attack on the institution itself. So that's the, the thing here, is that if you want to paint the Republicans as being obstructionist, as being out of touch with reality, as being afraid of Donald Trump, as not wanting the truth about what happened on January 6th, and all of that, the one thing that all of these lawmakers, House and Senate, have in common is they were there. 
They, they weren't like people like us watching on TV, and you can still see those videos, and those videos never go away, even though uh, I think something like about three-quarters uh, of Republican respondents in a new poll say they want to move on from January 6th. We didn't say we're going to move on from 9-11. We didn't move on from Pearl Harbor. Um, this was a huge, important, searing, um, traumatic attack on democracy. But I think, you know, you can certainly argue, as I have in the past, the Democrats have politicized this to some degree. The Republicans have certainly politicized it. And so when people get subjected to that day after day on the web, uh, on cable news, then I think they just throw up their hands and say, well, it's all political. Both sides are playing that game. In any event, The Atlantic argues that no matter how bipartisan or independent, an investigation into the attack on the Capitol will inevitably reflect poorly on Trump and it will reflect just as poorly on a party that is running under his banner in 2022. For liberals who want to either reform or end the filibuster rule, the 60 votes requirement for most bills in the Senate, it's a political gift, says The Atlantic, and maybe even Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema will realize uh, that you got to do something about the filibuster. But my only caveat there is... If you, get, if you go nuclear and you get rid of that, it certainly will enable the, the Democrats right now under Biden to do a whole lot of things. But inevitably, as the pendulum swings and the Republicans control the Senate again one day, they will likely control the House after next November, but that's a long time in politics, then it's going to be Republicans who won't have to worry about 60 votes jamming through everything that they want to, and Democrats will be essentially the powerless minority. Uh, I don't particularly love the filibuster, and maybe it's just better that it be like the House. You get 51 votes and you can pass whatever you want to pass. But I am saying that, you know, it's very tempting to do this when you have the majority. And it's a very bare majority, this 50-50 thing. And uh, it can seem very intimidating when you are on the losing end of that numbers game. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. All right, moving right along, I'm, I'm just utterly fascinated by the media being forced to reckon with uh, taking seriously this theory that Donald Trump and some Republicans had pushed for more than a year that the media completely dismissed and that most Democrats completely dismissed, and that is the Wuhan lab theory. Is it now possible? Again, the evidence is circumstantial, but there's more circumstantial evidence um, that this did start in the Chinese lab. You know, you had the three Chinese researchers who got hospitalized with COVID-like symptoms and all of that. What's fascinating to me about that is, um, here's Facebook. You know, Facebook, uh, because Mark Zuckerberg is one of the rulers of the planet, you know, gets to sort of institute these bans. Donald Trump, gone. Uh, anything we deem to be too controversial, gone. Anything we deem to be hate speech, gone. Anything we deem to be bullying, gone. And some of that is good. Twitter and Facebook should be aggressive about things that are clearly hate speech, bullying, or blatant lies about someone. Okay. But the problem is when you have a left-leaning organization and you just decide what's reality and what's not, well, look at what's happening now. Facebook said yesterday it is going to do a complete 180. It will no longer remove posts by users that claim the virus is man-made. So Facebook, in its infinite wisdom, said, you can't even post that. We're not even going to allow that debate because we, 
um, the brilliant people of Silicon Valley, uh, who are obviously quite liberal and hated Trump and don't, don't even let Trump anywhere near our platform now, we decided this is BS. We don't even think it's worthy of discussion. Well, now, after that Wall Street Journal story and other stories, you have Joe Biden, President of the United States, saying he wants to redouble his efforts. He wants to report from the intel community in 90 days. You have, you know, the Washington Post fact checker saying the Wuhan lab leak theory being taken more seriously, gaining credibility. You have the media, which for so long have said that this is a figment of conservative imagination saying, yeah, I guess we should investigate it. So now Facebook flips. What was verboten until yesterday is now allowed. Uh, Washington Post's decision shows once again how social media giants struggle to strike the right balance between protecting the public from harmful misinformation and enabling robust discussion of controversial ideas. Uh, Facebook changed course last year on the topic of Holocaust denial. You know, Zuckerberg, who was Jewish, had said for years, I don't want to ban people who don't uh, believe the Holocaust existed, which, of course, is completely and totally fictitious to say that. Uh, they can say what they want on Facebook. And then he flipped on that. I think there's a stronger argument there than on a, a matter of scientific debate. Facebook said in a statement the company would continue to shift its policies based on new information in light of ongoing investigations into the origin of COVID-19. In consultation with public health experts, we will no longer remove the claim that COVID-19 is man-made from our apps. Wow. And you know what I find fascinating reading here from a Washington Post story on this? The, the stories that are all sort of passive now. So here's the Washington Post reporting on, well, Facebook said it was no good and now it's okay. Uh, and then, you know, other stories which talk about Democrats and Biden now taking this more seriously. The stories never say, well, we in the media, you know, we've done a 180 also. Well, we in the media, we basically dismissed it, mocked it, denigrated it, made fun of it for more than a year. We're part of this. No, no, suddenly you're back to the you're Mount Olympus, you're the neutral observer. Well, you know, the scientific sense, consensus has shifted. And you know what? The politics are changing. So we're going to change our coverage now because the politics change, the science changed, and reputable scientists now say this is true. But where's the mea culpa? With very few exceptions. Where is the, well, we screwed up. And again, this may not be true. It may not be proven to be true. We may never find out exactly what happened at Wuhan. But it at least is a serious possibility, a serious possibility that media absolutely refuse to entertain. The Washington Post itself, which is running this story, and I'm just picking on the Post because I'm looking at this particular piece on Facebook. You know, when Tom Cotton, Republican senator back in February, said, well, we need an investigation of this because China is not honest about these things. You know, it was the Washington Post and the New York Times ran these headlines saying that Cotton was pushing a fringe theory, I believe in the case of the Post, a conspiracy theory, in the case of the New York Times, not like some scientists say and other scientists say and some intelligence officials say. No, it was just debunked, to use a word that Vox used back in March of 2020. We don't agree with it, so it's debunked. Well, debunked is a very definitive word. And you shouldn't say debunked unless it's absolute slam dunk, okay? The earth is round. The flat earth theory is debunked. The fact that there was no Holocaust, that's been debunked as a matter of history. The fact that uh, lots of pro-Trump supporters joined in the uh, attack on the Capitol, there's lots and lots of videotape. But other things, particularly having to do with science, I mean, this, is, this isn't like, uh, 
well, you know, scientists used to believe that uh, chocolate was bad for you, but now it is thought to have certain things that could be good for you. Like those things shift and evolve. So that's why you got to be careful about saying this is the one true reality. Here's the truth. We're giving you the truth. And anything else that's not the truth, not only are we going to disagree with it, which is fine. We want debate in the media. We are not even going to let you say it. Mark Zuckerberg says you can't say it. And now he's flipped. Belatedly. Um, And again, uh, where's the soul searching? Will this happen again? Is it all because Donald Trump was attacking China? That made it easy for people who didn't like Trump to say, well, this can't be true. They're just making it up as a way of bashing China and deflecting from the Trump administration's own record as um, the coronavirus gets worse and worse and worse. You know, thinking back to Memorial Day last year, we were approaching 100,000 deaths and all these lockdowns and, you know, not everybody obeyed it, but it was a it was a tough time. And by the time we got to the early summer, you know, we all thought hot weather, the virus would be gone, came roaring back. Well, now... Uh, the numbers have just plummeted. It's not to say that it's completely vanquished and can't come back in the cold weather, but it looks like it's going to be a pretty enjoyable summer. You know what? You deserve that. We all deserve that. America deserves that. The world really deserves it, but a lot of other countries are not in as good shape as the U.S. of A. right now. A couple of things I want to get to. I had a column the other day and talked about the media absolutely um, denouncing uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, along with Mitch McConnell, and Kevin McCarthy, by the way, for using the Holocaust analogy to mask mandates. You know, this is as bad as Hitler killing six million Jews. You just crazy stuff. But what I said was, you have, because of the latest Mideast war, you have the very liberal members of the Democratic Party um, saying some really tough things about Israel. And as I said on, on an earlier podcast, Absolutely fine for anybody in America, anybody in Israel to criticize the Netanyahu government, to question uh, its foreign policy, to question the way it treats Palestinians, to question whether it overreacted to Hamas. I happen to always point out that uh, Israel has a right to defend itself. Uh, Hamas fired those 4,000 rockets that initiated the war, and it was a war, and then Israel retaliated. But now you have four Democratic members of Congress uh, condemning their colleagues, mostly members of the squad, for fueling anti-Semitism in an open letter. Uh, these members of Congress are Kathy Manning, Dean Phillips, Josh Gottenheimer, and Elaine Luria. We reject comments from members of Congress accusing Israel of being an apartheid state and committing acts of terrorism, says this letter from four Democratic members of Congress. Sadly, we've learned from history that when this type of violence and inflammatory rhetoric goes unaddressed, It can fuel increasing hatred and violence and lead to unspeakable acts against Jews. Now, it's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, and Cori Bush, all Democratic members, who referred to Israel as an apartheid state. It's Ilhan Omar, who got um, reprimanded by the House just two years ago uh, for talking about dual loyalty, in other words, if you were an American and a Jew, do you also have loyalty to Israel that you put above loyalty to your, your own country? Anyway, Omar referring to Israeli airstrikes killing civilians in Gaza as an act of terrorism. Now, it's horrible when civilians get killed. It's the same debate when we used to have all the U.S. airstrikes in Iraq. Um, but on the other side, given the fact that there are these pro-Palestinian... Let me do that again. But on the other side, I should point out, given the fact that there are these pro-Palestinian demonstrators... 
attacking Jews now on the street in New York. It's also happened in L.A., but in New York, where uh, AOC is from, she tweeted, we will never, ever tolerate anti-Semitism in the city or in the world. The recent surge in attacks is horrifying. We stand with our Jewish communities in condemning this violence. So she makes a distinction, obviously, between you know, just thugs on the street beating people up because of their religion or ethnicity or anything else and her very sharp criticism of Israel. All right. Speaking of crime, this is unintentional, but it's a nice kind of segue into what I want to talk about next. Um, crime is going up in a whole lot of places, and it hasn't been a top-of-the-agenda issue for a very long time. For some of my younger listeners, back in the 80s and 90s, I mean, elections were decided by crime. That's why you had the um, it got the, 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 the surge in crack cocaine and gang violence and crime got so bad in the 80s that ultimately you had the Joe Biden got took a lot of heat for this when he ran for president this latest time, teaming up with Bill Clinton to pass that 1994 crime bill uh, with you know mandatory sentences and more funding for cops and all of that because. There are a few issues in American life that are more visceral than not feeling safe in your own community. So National Review has a piece, obviously, coming from the conservative uh, perspective, saying that crime or public safety may be about to play the most significant role in our politics since the mid-90s. Because crime started to decline after that for a whole bunch of reasons. Maybe better policing was part of it. Also, the aging of the population, because there's a certain... You know, a lot of crimes tend to get committed by people who are teenagers or young 20s. And, you know, when they get older, they kind of settle down. Many of them, it's a generalization. Okay, so uh, more than a year into a serious crime, crime wave, Democrats are fooling themselves if they think they won't be blamed for rising violence in Democratic-run cities. Overall, murder up 25% in the U.S. last year. Biggest jump in 60 Years Now, surely, National Review concedes, all of the desperation and economic setbacks of the pandemic have been a factor. But also, and I still think that there should be police reform when it comes to how excessive force, but obviously it has also had a chilling effect on a lot of uh, police officers. Uh, more from the magazine, uh, died the little progressive Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler, uh, faced with ongoing arrests that's still going on, is now calling for the city's residents to take the city back. L.A. cut its police budget by 8% after the George Floyd protest, is now adding it back. Um, Irving Crystal, who is widely seen as the uh, father of neoconservatism, Bill Crystal's father, uh, pretty famously said that a neoconservative is a liberal who has been mugged by reality. Well, if progressive politicians are now sounding friendly to the police, haven't been mugged, they at least have been alarmed. Uh, Jen Psaki was asked about the rising crime. Is there a rising crime problem? And she said, there's a guns problem. That's the age-old debate about, is, is it guns? Do guns just make it worse? You know, that latest horrible shooting in San Jose where eight people were killed. You know, was news for a few hours because, unfortunately, with this kind of access to guns, this has become more and more and more common. But I do think um, it, it's interesting. I don't know how the crime issue plays nationally when basically crime is a state and city responsibility. Uh, but I do think if these crime rates continue, you're going to hear more and more about it, and it's clearly going to be a major political controversy. All right, uh, just briefly, New York Times has a story uh, today. Federal prosecutors in Brooklyn, that's the Eastern District of New York, as opposed to the federal prosecutors in Manhattan, which is the Southern District of New York. 
They've been investigating whether several Ukrainian officials helped orchestrate a wide-ranging plan to meddle in the 2020 campaign using Rudy Giuliani to spread their misleading claims about Joe Biden and help Trump in the election, according to sources. Um, the criminal investigation began in the final months of the Trump administration, have not been previously reported. Um, talks about it's the Ukrainians who are the targets of this. Now, the, is this getting really hard to follow without a scorecard? The investigation is unfolding separately from a long-running federal inquiry in Manhattan. So you have to know the boroughs here. There's the Brooklyn investigation, and there's the Manhattan investigation. There's a separate probe in Manhattan aimed at Rudy. That was the one where, um, you know, New York Times, Washington Post, NBC falsely reported that Rudy had been warned by the FBI that uh, he was a target for the Russians. Which who may were working with the Ukrainians. He says he never got that warning. Turns out it was true. He never got that warning. So in the federal inquiry of Manhattan, Rudy's under investigation. That was what the whole uh, you know search of his apartment and office were about for uh, getting ultimately getting President Trump to remove the ambassador to Ukraine, and he didn't register as a foreign agent, and there's all of that, but. The Brooklyn prosecutors are looking uh, are targeting the Ukrainian officials who were spreading what they say are spreading spreading claims of corruption about Biden through a number of channels, including Rudy. Okay, if you have a hard time making a distinction between the two, so do I, because it seems like it's basically the same stuff. You know, Rudy went to Europe in December 2019. He met with the Ukrainians. I mean, he talked about this. It was all something he bragged about. One of the people he met with, a Ukrainian member of parliament named Andrei Durkach, is now the focus of the Brooklyn investigation. Anyway, it, it, this is to me is like uh, the, the Manhattan DA and the state attorney general in New York investigating Donald Trump. I get that there are different jurisdictions and some of this is turf and maybe one would aim at prosecuting Ukrainians and one would aim at prosecuting Giuliani, but it seems like one ball of wax to me. Uh, Rudy's lawyer yesterday defending the search for info on Biden um, the lawyer says, someday the truth will come out. Uh, he also says, when you investigate allegations of corruption, you talk to all sorts of people. Some are credible and some are not. So that's going to be Rudy's defense, if indeed charges are brought. All right, speaking of New York, where ethnic politics reigns so supreme, Andrew Yang, a leading candidate for mayor, obviously he was a presidential candidate, um, he got very personal uh, the other day. He is the son of Taiwanese immigrants. He was born in Schenectady, New York, upstate, lived in the city for about 25 years, never voted in a city election. There are obviously major gaps in his knowledge. He is now claiming, and he appeared with his wife, that criticism of him, some of it, is anti-Asian racism. There's particularly a cartoon in New York Daily News that Yang contends plays into anti-Asian stereotypes. The paper denies that. So he and his wife uh, went to a subway stop in Queens on Tuesday where a man of Asian descent has been pushed onto the track. So this relates back to China and the Wuhan lab theory uh, because it's, it is accompanied by a rise in attacks on Asian Americans. And we also, of course, saw the horrible uh, Atlanta spa shootings uh, some months ago where six out of the eight victims were Asian American women. So... You know, part of this is just an effort by the competing New York candidates to take down Andrew Yang because he might win this thing. 
But he's also, it's legitimate to point out his lack of knowledge. He doesn't know the subway lines. Like if you're running for mayor of New York and you don't know, uh, and you don't know that the one runs on the west side and that the six is the Lexington Avenue line and you don't know uh, where the E and the F go, you don't seem like a real New Yorker. You know what I'm saying? Um, He's been ridiculed over his definition of a bodega since the New York Times. Um, and uh, let's see what else. He says he's never been to a public housing project. Uh, but look, Yang is not running as the expert on New York City. He's running as a business guy who can surround himself with smart people and fix the problems. He may lose this thing, but we're getting down to the final weeks now. I finally, I did this little rant yesterday about Naomi Osaka, a world tennis player, um, saying she's not going to talk to the press at the French Open. It's good for her mental health. She'll take the fines. It's like about $25,000 for each news conference she skipped. Well, I'm not the only one that had a problem with that. Well, I've heard, I've talked to people about this who think I'm crazy. She should be able to do whatever she wants. Who likes the press anyway? So the head of the French Tennis Federation uh, ripping her, saying it is a phenomenal error and it shows to what extent it is necessary to have strong governance. What is happening is not, in my opinion, acceptable. It is tennis we want to promote. Uh, Okay, here's why she doesn't care. In 2020, she made almost $50 million, more than any other female athlete. She says she's going to donate any fines to mental health charities, the money that she has to pay. And look, my point is, Osaka would not have $50 million in endorsements and all the other money-making things that she has if it wasn't for the media and her own God-given talent helping her, turning her into an international star. There are a lot of really good tennis players and you don't know who they are. That's why I think she should talk to the press. She's made a different decision and the French do not like it. Well, as I said, Memorial Day weekend, have a great time. Uh, it's a, you know, if you don't have to work, it's a chance to really enjoy the weather, the, the reopening of America and all of that. As always, I appreciate your listening. You can subscribe at Apple iTunes or on your Amazon device. Memorial Day, Monday, we will not be working. You'll have to get along without me. Back here Tuesday. See you then with more Buzz News. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.